Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility by a natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naturna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, ladies. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that a lot of women get stumped over when they're going through their IVF cycles, and that is whether or not to go through with PGS testing of the embryos. So PGS testing stands for pre-genetic screening, um, also nowadays known as uh, PGTA. And what happens with this procedure is that once the eggs are extracted and fertilized and grow to day five into the blastocyst stage, um, a biopsy is taken of the outer layer um, of the embryo and tested for chromosomal abnormalities. And the, there's a few things that um, are really great about uh, going forward with something like this, and I'll, but I'll be sure to give you um, the downsides also. So the good is that the success rates of doing IVF transfers, so like the implantation part with PGS-tested embryos, are quite high. So we are seeing that uh, women that transfer PGS-tested embryos, as long as they're a good quality one, like a day five or day six of good quality, uh, generally it's like 50 to 70% chance of success, which is really, really good in IVF terms. The other thing is that uh, you'd have generally a reduced chance of miscarriage because you've eliminated a lot of the chromosomal abnormalities um, through the testing. So uh, about 70 to 80% of miscarriages can be due to chromosomal abnormalities. And if that's tested in advance um, and those are screened for, then and you just wouldn't opt for the embryos that had come up with any kind of abnormalities, Uh, then that's kind of protecting you even more so from the potential of a pregnancy loss. Also a great thing. um, If you are a person that really wants to know the gender of the baby before getting pregnant, um, you know, some women already have a girl or a boy or just are really aiming for a certain gender, then that can be also selected with this testing. It's not as commonly... um, like the, you know, biggest benefit for people, but it's kind of like a bonus. Uh, Another thing is that couples who have genetic issues that they're worried about their child having those genetic issues, uh, um, those can be screened for. So then you'd select the embryos that aren't carriers of the same genetic issues that you and or your partner or husband have um, so that you could make sure that the child um, wouldn't be born with those issues and have to worry about that in their lifetime. We will get right back to today's episode in just a sec, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell you about an exciting new project that I have underway. So here it is. I get a lot of questions about what to eat and avoid when trying to get pregnant. Since so many of you are interested in optimizing your fertility via nutrition, I've created a very special course that teaches you the ins and outs of just that. It hasn't launched yet, but keep your eyes and ears peeled from my course on fertility nutrition. 
Whether you are already undergoing IVF or just trying the old-fashioned way, my goal is to help give you all the nutritional tools you need to enhance your fertility and speed your path to baby. All right, let's jump back in. So those are some of the benefits. Um, some of the other side of the equation um, are these. So uh, the testing is not 100% foolproof. There's about a 10% margin for error, uh, meaning that uh, you could be throwing away perfectly good embryos. They've biopsied, they, they've come up as abnormal, and um, then you may throw them away, but there's a 10% chance that they actually weren't abnormal. And um, there's also some controversy around the idea that they're really only biopsying the outer layer of the embryo and um, perhaps some of the genetic material on the inside would tell the full story. Um, We don't know enough about that at this point to really kind of make any decisions about it. Um, The other thing is that... um, you know, usually when you send your embryos off for testing, um, only a few of them will come back. So they usually are, you know, gunning for about 30% of them to come back as genetically normal. So that is a fairly high attrition rate. So if you are working with a ton of embryos, maybe not as big of a deal, but if you aren't working with very many, like say only like two get sent off for testing, that's a real conundrum. Um, You may end up with nothing. And, you know, in all truth, when you send them off for testing, there's a good chance you may have none come back um, normal. They could come back as mosaic or with various abnormalities. Um, And then you're sort of back to square one um, doing another retrieval cycle in IVF. So um, lots of benefits, a few downsides for sure. Um, It really depends on your response to IVF medications and your fertility profile as to whether this may be um, a good option for you, not to mention your own philosophy. So, you know, some people really want to know everything and um, really appreciate the extra intervention and the science and some don't want to tamper with their um, embryos as much and just kind of want to let nature take its course to a certain extent. And you've got to kind of know um, where you fall in that, in those categories. So I'd say another huge, massive thing to consider is um, how many embryos that you produce uh, out of an IVF cycle. Um, And that could be a determining factor on whether this might be a good idea for you. So let's just... um, you know, go with the notion that doing the PGS testing is an ideal uh, kind of way to go just because you're improving your success rates um, considerably. But, you know, if you have a low ovarian reserve, um, like say 0.5 or, you know, somewhere under one, uh, which indicates that you probably won't have a really robust response to the IVF meds, meaning that you won't produce a ton of eggs, uh, you know, it might be a tricky decision to make because say you only get two or three eggs out of your IVF cycle and then maybe, um, you know, two of those fertilize and then we have, they have to make it all the way to, um, the day five of the cell division. So, you know, first day they fertilize and then they progress through day three and some transfers are done on day three. Um, by and large, most of them these days are being done on day five because they think those embryos are stronger. Now, there's a huge argument for, um, you know, the idea that 
some embryos just do better inside the woman. Like there's a chance that maybe they could be great embryos and that for some reason outside of um, the woman's uterus in um, the lab, they just don't progress to the blastocyst stage, which is day five of cell division and or day six and so then you're losing them because you're trying to grow them to the point where they could be tested um, but then you lose them along the way and then you know the the cycle's kind of shot so sometimes we don't know if you're a good candidate for pgs until you've gone through the whole ivf cycle an example of somebody that would be a fairly good candidate for pgs is somebody who got like 20 or 30 eggs even 15 10 or 15 Um, a good number um, makes it so that you have a lot to play around with. So let's say, for example, you get 20 eggs and 15 of them fertilize. So that's 15 that have the potential to grow to the stage that we want them to, but they never really do. Maybe we get half of those growing to day five. So let's say seven or eight of them grow to day five. And then you have seven or eight that you send off for PGS testing. So you're not as worried about the notion that none could come back. Like you're hoping that, you know, 30% of that amounts to you getting um, a couple back uh, that may be normal. And you might get more than a couple. You may get less. We don't know for sure, but at least it gives you higher chances. So higher egg count um, in the retrieval uh, can often lead to you being a better candidate for this PGS testing. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, the one, two, three, four, even five eggs, it's tricky because then let's say like only maybe 70% of those fertilize. And then we hope that they're going to make it to the day five of the cell division and potentially they don't and they peter off and then you're left with nothing to work with. That is a situation where for the next cycle, um, you might consider not um, maybe going for the PGS testing and perhaps transferring uh, one or two embryos at the day three mark or freezing them and transferring them so that you don't have to worry about losing them. Because that's really what it comes down to is that I've watched women go through cycle after cycle of really aiming for that PGS testing and not being able to actually get there. Uh, Their embryos just don't make it that far outside of the body. They don't even make it to the point where they could test. And if they do, there's barely anything left. And then um, maybe they, maybe if they're lucky, they get one back normal. um, And oftentimes they don't. So easy decision is if you've got a ton of eggs, tougher decision. If you've got less, you can see how the cycle goes. Um, Oftentimes that's a conversation with your doctor um, to see what they recommend and, you know, when you would have to let them know that you would be going through this testing. Note that um, to do this testing, you would have to send the embryos off and they would then be frozen. So you wouldn't be able to kind of get them tested and then put right back into you fresh. That's not how it works. Um, They'd have to be sent out for testing. You'd have maybe like a two-week wait to get those results back. And then based on that, um, uh, hopefully you'd have um, embryos to transfer. And then you'd wait for the next cycle and prepare to do a frozen embryo transfer. So that's pretty much the gist of it. And I'd like to definitely mention that I am not an REI. Um, I'm not a reproductive endocrinologist or an embryologist, like somebody who works in the lab. But I have uh, worked with so many women going through this process. And this is really a common 
kind of decision and question that comes up, especially if the IVF cycle is not progressing the way that they had hoped and the way that their doctor had hoped, meaning that they're not necessarily getting a lot of eggs or potentially maybe they did get a decent amount of eggs, but they're, um, they don't tend to make it, um, to day five of cell division. Um, the, the basic moral of the story is, is like, don't throw everything out um, if the PGS testing isn't working out for you, um, it, there is a chance that there's still good ones in there and that perhaps, um, you might just try transferring, um, without doing the testing. This will depend, uh, largely on what fertility center and doctor that you work with, because there are some fertility centers that are really, uh, very gung ho on doing this testing. Now it makes sense. It improves success rates. Um, so, you know, that looks great on their stats and it just leads to, um, a lot of happy women, right? Um, and then there are, are some centers that are only doing day five transfers. They won't do day three just because they don't think the success rates are good enough. Um, and then you have some centers that, you know, are, are willing to do whatever works for your body. And, and to me, that's what you really want. You really want to find a doctor and a center that are really going to work for with you and your unique pr- um, fertility profile and your response to the IVF medications, because not everybody is an ideal responder. I mean, you do get a subset of women often with a higher level of AMH that will respond very well, but there are a ton of us women out there that don't necessarily have a robust ovarian reserve that are going to respond great to these medications. And so you want to sort of have other options, um, there for you in case you're not fitting within that box. So that is um, the rundown of whether or not to PGS. It's really individual and it's something that unfortunately you might not even be able to figure out until you do a few cycles, but I hope that the information in this segment will help to give you um, a little bit of insight on some of the things that you should be thinking about um, when you move forward with an IVF cycle um, or with the possibility of PGS testing. All right, ladies, looking forward to chatting next time really happy you've tuned in and joined the community and i'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode in order to make this podcast as helpful as possible i want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey you can dm me on instagram at at naturna underscore life or at naturally cb to share your most important fertility related questions And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.